LA Leakers. Hello? Can you hear me, Warden? Hello? 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 Are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I hear you very well. Nice. It should sound better than... It ever sounds before. way better. What about me? Uh, yeah, you sound perfect too. Alright, cool. Alright, direct realism. Problems with it. Uh, indirect realism, primary and secondary qualities, problems, <laughs> idealism, problems, exam question, end. Yeah, sounds like a plan. All right. You want to today? Yeah, I'll do the introduction. All right, all right. But only if I can say, hey, guys. Um, no, you got to think of a cool name for the audience. All right. Friends, cowards, and those in between, I would like to welcome you all to, uh, what's this called again? Year 12 philosophy. Year 12 uh, thinkers. We love us. being uh, conscious of our thoughts. Yes, and of our uh, relative demographic. Hell yeah. All right, and today we got an exciting program lined up for you all because we're covering direct realism, indirect realism idealism and the problems associated with each and at the end we'll probably do an exam question like we usually do that is a lot of things now nah, we'll speed through it yeah i'm sure we will all right let's kick off nice and strong with direct realism direct realism is very easy to remember when in doubt just remember that it's realism directly and what is realism well, direct realism means that the external world exists independently of the mind. That's the realism part. And we perceive the world directly. That's the direct part. So this means that when you look at and perceive a tree, the tree would still exist even if there was nobody around to look at it. And you are also perceiving the properties of the tree directly. And properties might be... um. You know, a tree bark is rough and it's brown uh, and it looks wood-like. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, an interesting thing about direct realism is it's considered a very naive form of Yeah, what's the, world. the other name for it? Is it naive realism? That's exactly right. I'm not sure how I feel about that, because I think that direct realism, it's not the one that I like. I like indirect realism. Uh, but it's, you know, it's not, like, naive. It's, it's, it's not great. It's not great, but it's not um, naive. There so are some really about, good defenses. Of should we talk about why it's not great? Yeah, let's talk about the problems. All right. As Berkeley pointed out, perceptual variation applies to primary and secondary qualities so things aren't exactly as we perceive them yeah we should do you want to talk about um primary and secondary qualities yeah i think we should outline that distinction maybe all right 
I forget the order we learned this. I should have done more. Yeah, I do. Uh, but remember when I was talking about the properties of the tree? Uh, I think it was Locke uh, came up with primary and secondary qualities. But either way, primary and secondary qualities, primary qualities uh, about the tree are objective. It's stuff like the tree's number. There is one tree. The tree's motion. Uh, the tree is not moving. The tree's density, its mass. Uh, and Locke said that primary qualities were utterly inseparable from the object. In contrast, secondary qualities are subjective. Stuff like the color of the tree, the feel of the bark, the smell of the leaves. Uh, it's stuff that, you know, you might see brown, a colorblind person might see something else. Yeah, interestingly, some ideas seem to conflict whether they're primary or secondary, such as shape. Yeah. Because uh, a coin may appear as a circle from one angle, but a um, elliptical from An another oval. angle. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, um, this perceptual variation, you just described it there, gives a problem for direct realism because you claim you perceive the world directly and yet you don't know what shape a coin is. Is exactly. it circular or is it oval? You don't know. Similar things go for all sorts of qualities, such as um, colour. Sure, there's an objective wavelength something emits, but can we really use that to deduce mm. any truths about the primary qualities? Another problem with direct realism is, of course, uh, the idea of illusion and hallucination and the idea that your sense data can be tricked very easily. And so it's difficult to judge how reliable your sense data can be. And therefore, can you trust direct realism to give you an accurate idea of how the world is? Probably not. Mm. And that's a big problem. The last argument against direct realism is the time lag argument. Uh, the time lag argument states that uh, it takes about eight minutes for the light to reach Earth from the sun, meaning that when you look at something, you're actually seeing what it looks like eight minutes ago, and therefore you're not perceiving it directly. Um, but I'm actually not sure about this, because whilst you're not seeing the sun, like you're not seeing the object directly. You're seeing it eight minutes ago. You're seeing it as it was, not as it is. Yeah, but as it was, if you see everything as it was, then surely that's just, like, the standard. Um, I don't know. It, sure, it may be standard, but that doesn't mean you're seeing it directly. But everyone and everything is eight minutes behind in terms yeah, of vision. Regardless of the standardness, that doesn't mean you're seeing it directly. Hmm. I do agree. Uh, that not everything is eight minutes behind. What you think? Some things uh, see light quicker. Understand the sun. If you look at it, is eight minutes behind. But if we were in the same room looking at each other, we wouldn't be eight minutes behind. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh, don't listen to me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'm on about. Although <laughs> half time. Uh, 
Our, our voices would be out of sync with our mouth movement. True. Actually, I was thinking about that as I was sitting here, like, hang on a second, what if a bomb went off? I'd feel loads of pain, and then eight minutes later I'd be like, yo, what's that big mushroom cloud looking? Yeah. Um, no. So, basically, to just expand on the theory so it makes a little more sense to the listeners, the sun is seven minutes behind, and we can use that to say... Uh, even when we look at our cat from across the room, we're seeing it a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a second out of sync with where it really is. But that is still not perceiving it directly. Hmm. Couldn't have put it better myself in the way that I didn't put it better myself. Should we move on to uh, what I consider to be the best theory? Indirect realism. Indirect realism. It's got its issues. Luke, but... are you, uh, which one are you? I don't know. I think they're all a little problematic. Idealism has the best start, but takes an awful turn. Mm, as we'll discover. Yeah. So, Aristotle was the first to provide a description of direct realism. Uh, he described how the seer is informed by the object by way of seeing it. Um, but obviously we've said why this is wrong. Another fan of direct realism was, was Thomas Aquinas, but seeing as those issues we pointed out, uh, indirect realism kind of started around with some early philosophers like Locke, Leibniz, Hume, Berkeley, and Russell, I think we will all refer to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Locke categorized qualities as follows primary qualities which we've said are just the basic uh qualities that require no explanation and are distinct to an object they're objective if you will yeah they cannot be removed or added to necessarily um and then, and then oh you go Oh, I was going to say the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, as we've mentioned, secondary qualities are the ones which you do not, that you experience, that do not directly resemble uh, what is being experienced. For example, the sensation of seeing redness is not produced by some quality of redness in the object. So, therefore, primary qualities describe reality and secondary qualities describe our perception of reality. Do you want to go into problems? Um, is there anything more to say about indirect realism? Is that it? Not really. It's just the external world exists independently of the mind, and we can perceive the uh, world I don't know. indirectly. Yeah, there is something. So yeah, indirect realism does say that there is an external mind. Oh, we actually mind. need to define it first. Yeah, there is an external mind-independent world. Uh, but we never, part. we never directly perceive this world. So it kind of goes our mind and then perception and perceptual variation and all of that. And then the world that exists. There's kind mm. of this barrier in between. So it argues there is an external world. But between us and that, there is kind of this perceptual wall that... I believe Locke called it a veil of perception. 
Did he call it a veil of perception? Ah, uh, he might have. I think he did, because it's a uh, a criticism. Yeah, he did, in fact, say that. Locke's account of perception of physical objects was received by many in the 18th century as a version of representational realism, the view that an object is perceived by virtue of the mind's awareness or some other kind of veil of perception. There we go. Speaking of the veil of perception, that's actually a uh, problem with indirect realism. There's no way of knowing that anything actually exists behind the veil. So if we only perceive sense data and not the object itself, then who's to say that the object exists at all? Yes, if we were to say we knew there was an external world and still say we never experienced it directly but only experienced this veil of perception, then surely we would be claiming some sort of a priori um, analytic um, synthetic knowledge, which is uh, not allowed, according to the empiricist. Mm. However, um, some indirect realists do counter this. For example, Russell says that there's no way of knowing that anything does exist behind the veil, but uh, it is the best explanation. Like, why are trees green? The, the best explanation is that behind the veil of perception, trees are green. Yeah, Leading to the green, perhaps. You see, I don't like that argument. Um, I think it's all right. It's, it's the best explanation. It just kind of upsets me, you know? What's wrong with it? It's not nearly a good enough explanation to be considered the best explanation. So it's uh, not infallible. Other problems with that. Yeah, exactly. But not even infallible. It's more a case of best explanation kind of works for me when we're like, 80, 90% sure, but hmm. I don't think we've got enough evidence to claim we're that sure about it. Well, speaking of evidence, Locke says that it is the best explanation, and he also cites two points uh, that proves that it is the best explanation. First of all, um, Locke said that he was unable to avoid having certain sense data produced in his mind when he looks at an object. So if trees aren't green... I say trees, oh my word. Right, if leaves aren't green and I look at leaves and they are consistently green, then that has to mean that in reality they are green. Yeah, another argument I believe Hobbes put forward along a similar line is that uh, although we might experience things in slightly different ways, there is a certain consistency among how different people experience the world mm, right. if i pointed at a tree and asked you what it was you would say that is a tree mm. so therefore, or you wouldn't say be... you wouldn't say that the tree is blue for example yeah uh well you yeah you would just say that there is a tree we both know of this tree <laughs> independent of each other and exactly. therefore there must be some tree behind the veil of perception the second argument Locke gives is the um the sense data we receive is consistent with our other senses so for example a loaf of bread looks like a loaf of bread it smells like a loaf of bread uh i suppose it sounds like a loaf of bread in the way that it's silent but uh you know like if if um if there's nothing behind the veil of perception 
then why are all of our sense data consistent with all our other sense data? Completely right. Mm. So I suppose maybe it is a a better argument than I was giving it credit for, but still, I don't like it hugely. I don't know. It doesn't sit right with me. Fair enough. Um, what about I, idealism? Does that sit right with you? In the beginning, it, it kind of does. It starts out really strong, strong, I will agree. Yeah. It does. Are we going to move on to it, or have we got anything? Yeah, let's move. Well, do you have anything more to say? No? No, I think no, I'm I don't either. All right. Well, speaking of idealism, idealism differs to the first two theories in the sense that it is an anti-realist theory, which means there is no external world independent of our minds, which is controversial, and I don't like it. That is the part I like. Really? That's the best part. Why so would attempt yeah, to argue against idealism, you in the counties. Idealism embraces skept the skepticism that um, indirect realism kind of leads to and accepts an anti-realist position. Is mm. uh, kind of how you would phrase that in an exam to say it's uh, argues there is no world independent of the perceiver. But I would argue that that is flawed and that um, there is a world in independent of the perceiver. Oh, I mentioned Berkeley earlier. He is an idealist. So, for Berkeley, physical objects only exist as collections of ideas, uh, which he calls sense data. It's oh, the universe simply consists of minds and the sense data they perceive. Mm -hmm. There is no reason to believe there is some material mind-independent subject substance yeah. as uh, as berkeley said uh you might remember Locke said the primary qualities and secondary qualities uh exist and secondary qualities are mind dependent whereas primary qualities are mind independent berkeley agrees with Locke that secondary qualities are mind dependent but he goes further and argues that primary qualities are also mind dependent for example, something that looks small to me might look huge to a small animal. Yeah, which is something I kind of struggle with, but I kind of get. Yeah. Because something like mass still seems very objective to yeah, me. Yeah, or mass. weight. Yeah. Actually, weight, I suppose, is not objective. Weight isn't, but mass is kind of like weight's objective. Yeah, problem. mass is a measure of particles. Yeah. Which seems objective. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. But then again, I suppose Berkeley would have had no way of knowing what particles were. That's that's true. It's true. Uh, and from this, uh, Berkeley made his master argument, which is the core belief of idealism. And it is as follows. Berkeley asks us to imagine a tree unperceived. Luke, can you imagine a tree unperceived? Yeah. Well, I think you are lying, because Berkeley claims that this is impossible, and it's most likely that you've just imagined a tree in some solitary place. Yeah, no, he is correct. Uh, yeah, there's, exactly what I did. there's nothing in our sense experience, or um, nothing in our lives in general that proves the unforeseen, uh, no, unperceived objects actually exist. 
That's true. Uh, I would actually disagree with this, though. Why? Because a problem with Berkeley's master argument is the idea that um, things still happen to unperceived objects. For example, um, I don't know, if I put an apple in a desk drawer and then leave it, and then two weeks later I open the desk drawer, then the apple would have rotted whether or not I've been looking at it. Um, and I think the this is kind of where idealism starts to fall apart. There's, mm. there's not too much you can do in response to this problem, because I don't think anyone's going to disagree that the external world exists unperceived. We see it change regularly. We know it existed before us and probably will after us. Mm. Uh, but I do think an interesting response... Um, interesting is perhaps the correct word. I think we're thinking about different things. Oh, well, you go first. Uh, I'll do quantum physics, you do God. Oh, alright. Um, is that... Basically, in quantum physics, um, particles only take on an objective state when perceived, is the theory, versus like wave or particle, you know? And yet, we know there are unperceived particles that act as particles and unperceived waves that act as waves so some have theorized that the universe is constantly observing itself and is its own observer in kind of a pan psychism style of way that's greek to me there's a lot of science yeah so it's just the idea that the universe is constantly observing itself, and that's how it works. That's strange. Speaking of constantly observing, uh, the original objection to this idea of uh, an apple unperceived still rots, uh, Berkeley solves this problem by saying that God sees everyone all the time, and therefore, even if I wasn't looking at the apple, God was. And therefore, the apple rotted because someone was looking at it. Which I think is very silly. Yeah, but, like, maybe not, you know? Well, using... it's Because Descartes does this as well. Whenever he's in a corner... It's, sorry, was this not Descartes? Who said that? No, this is Berkeley. Did Berkeley do the God stuff, too? Yeah, well, he was, uh, he was a bishop, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, Bishop Berkeley. Yeah. But the problem is, is that these philosophers, they get stuck in an intellectual corner and they're like, I know, I'm right because God said so. And you just can't argue with them because, you know, you can't yeah. argue against them and you can't argue for them. Yeah, I agree. Because if God exists, it's a good argument. But if yeah. he doesn't, it's not a great argument. Mm. And then it kind of derails the debate, because instead of talking about idealism, you end up talking about the existence of God. Yes, because uh, that kind of just underpins the whole thing. It yeah. can't be true if God does exist, if God doesn't exist. Um, but idealism does have other problems other than an does. apple unperceived rods. For example, uh, the solipsism is a huge problem. Solipsism is the idea that only your mind exists. Uh, and Berkeley's argument suggests that there's no reason to believe 
that anything exists beyond my own, beyond my own experience. And since I can't experience other people's minds, uh, what reason do I have to believe that other people have minds? How do I know that uh, I didn't create Luke? How do I know that I didn't create the people listening to this? In fact, how do you listening to this know that you didn't create me and Luke? It's true. The moment, you, the moment you stop listening, we cease to exist. But we'll see you in two weeks' time for the next episode. Yeah, exactly. Make sure you tune back in. Yeah, we want we want to keep in. existing again. I got stuff to yeah. do. Yeah, allow us more time to exist. Um, I'm still very interested in the idea that you the universe has its own consciousness. Uh, that we're all a part of, and is constantly. Well, there's so much through. about the universe that we don't know. Yeah, if that's kind of, I wish that um, when we're being taught philosophy, we actually had a scientist in the room so we could yeah. just shower it, them and they could shout back. Just it, it often comes up, and I, if you read around any of the stuff we cover in philosophy, like quantum science and quantum physics, quantum mechanics, always comes up when I try and do extra reading. Yeah, um, it just it doesn't really hit the course at all. Which is annoying, because then I have to learn science, and science messes with my mind. Yeah. The only dominant theory we have of consciousness says that it is associated with complexity. Yeah, how strange. Huh? You know, another problem with um idealism is... Yeah, give it. If uh, the only thing that exists is the stuff that God sees, and uh, I think that hallucinations exist, then does that mean that God also sees my hallucinations? Very true. So are hallucinations just as real as ordinary perception? And why would God cause hallucinations? What does he gain from it? Yeah, Um. so Berkeley, again, just tries to say that God perceives the objects that are not perceived by us and thus sustains their existence. Mm. So they still only exist as ideas or sense data, which suggests that, uh, according to Berkeley, these hallucinations are no less our ideas than the real world, but God still does not deceive us with what the real world is, mm. uh, which is, doesn't make any sense. So overall, idealism, you start strong, gets weaker as you start to think about it. Yeah, uh, agreed. As soon as they can really jump that hurdle of why the external world exists, though, I will be a staunch idealist. Uh, I'm going to be a staunch, uh, indirect realist. Because I really like it. Do you want to do a exam question? Yeah, let's do it. 25 marker. Is indirect realism correct? Mm. Alternatively, uh, it, the, it'll probably follow the format is blank correct. So is direct realism correct? Is indirect realism correct? Or is idealism correct? Either way, the structure will be talk about one, say whether you agree with it, and then if you don't, or even if you do, list the other two and why you do or don't agree with them. Yeah, so um, I I would do my introduction. I'd say what indirect realism is, name a couple, key names, key terms, just get those AO1 five marks. I think it's AO1. 
mm. and then go into counter-argument, direct realism, shut that down with argument for illusion, then counter-argument with idealism, and then shut down idealism with some of the God stuff, some of the what happens to the world when it's unperceived stuff. So then you'd probably talk about indirect realism and offer the criticism of the veil of perception and your final... No, you'd talk about idealism and offer the... Oh, let's just do that again. So then you'll probably talk about idealism and offer the criticism of what happens to the world when it goes unperceived. And you'd finish off with indirect realism, talk about the veil of perception, and then counter, counter this with best guess. And then you can just happily conclude indirect realism is the best theory. You can say, yes, it is correct. It is correct. And you should have 25 marks. A Easy money. Easy money indeed. All right. So you've been listening to... Yeah, the year 12, 12 Thinkers podcast. What's next week? In unison. Um, I think we might do Kant oh. next week. Yeah, everyone tune in for Kant. I got some. Yeah, Kant's gonna be that, an exciting one. I if you enjoy utilitarianism, you'll like the Kant. Yeah, one. I think Kant is a genius. No, I think Kant is the worst human being to crawl out. No, he probably probably the cleverest ethicist to ever live. Hmm, not sure if I agree, but we'll no. find out. Two weeks it's later. Facts. It's facts. I will convince you in every you way won't. in two weeks. See you guys later. Bye. Thanks for watching. Leave a comment. Leave a rating. See you later. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe.